you know, I think this is all about money and control at the end of the day. So we'll see how it plays out. I just think um, there's no doubt that there's uh, been a coordinated campaign to sort of smear me and that's that's been fed back through me and other board members. So I think that's a complete cheap shot. I mean, we've won a World Cup for the men and women in 27 and 29. Uh, we got broadcast deals done. We brought sponsors into the game. And if you just look at some of the support where I had from former Prime Minister John Howard, John Coates, key sponsors, Cadbury, um, Darren O'Brien, um, a lot of support out there, and Andrew Forrest and Nicola Forrest. So, you know, they're not dumb people. They're really smart. So I think they know it's a journey. And in life... Any any business takes time to fix. Are you angry? No. I'm philosophical. It doesn't matter. No one died at the end of the day, and it's just a game at the end of the day. An important one, and one that I love, but at the end of the day, there's a war going on in the Ukraine. There's a, there's, there's a war between Israel and, and Hamas, and that's real stuff that really matters. Dave Rennie gone, Andy Marinos gone, Eddie Jones gone, and now Hamish McLennan gone. As Laurie Fisher has said today, it's been a horrific year for Australian rugby. It just gets worse and worse, blow after blow. And we've had another weekend of insane drama. I'm Tony Harper, editor of theraw.com.au, Australia's biggest sporting debate. And I'm here with two people who have followed this story. These are ongoing uh, dramas in Australian rugby extremely closely. Christy Doran, the rugby editor of The Raw, and Jeff Parks, uh, our expert columnist. Uh, gentlemen, what what are 48 hours, Christy? Yeah, good to join you. Uh, more than 48 hours, really, probably the best part of a week because the Rebels, the six member unions that came out against Hamish McLennan on Friday evening when Brett Clark, the Queensland Rugby Union chairman, phoned Hamish McLennan, who had just arrived back from Melbourne, to tell him that he had lost the confidence of the member unions and that he'd been asked to step aside resign. Those sorts of operations, those working the shadows, had been doing so for some time, many weeks, a number of months, in fact. And centralisation is probably one of the areas where we'll come back to, but it all came to a head uh, last week. And... I was told on Tuesday within 48 hours it was likely to occur within 72 hours and in fact happened and then a couple of two two meetings on Saturday between emergency meetings with the rugby show board culminates a day later 24 hours uh, an extension there was was offered to Hamish McLennan and the rugby show board to draw their conclusion and it ends with Dan Herbert being the new chairman the 99 World Cup winner uh, and someone who's been on the rugby show board since 2020, the same time as Hamish McLennan, but he's no longer having uh, turned down the invitation to stay on the board after losing a vote late last night on Sunday, just as uh, the cricket was very much getting underway with the, with the Australians. Jeff, um, it's 11 months, I, I guess, since Dave Rennie was shown the door. Do you, you think anyone thought that it could go this wrong in those 11 months? And do you think that Hamish, as he sits today, uh, would like to have that moment back where he made that big call? Uh, well, he's already said uh, that he, you know, when speaking about appointing Eddie Jones, uh, that he would do the same thing all over again. So... I think, um, you know, maybe today, having been ousted as chairman, uh, he might reflect on that differently. But certainly up to date, 
uh, he hasn't. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of the things that's marked his tenure, that he, he, he does bulldoze forwards. He's not a guy for uh, reflection and showing contrition and, and things like that. So perhaps he, he wouldn't have changed anything. Um, I guess what he would have changed is uh, the Wallabies performing better at the World Cup, and that's what ultimately the early exit ultimately put a lot of pressure uh, back onto him for that decision. Jeff, um, you wrote a piece today, an excellent piece on the Raw, where I think you kind of made that point that if he had shown some contrition, if he had been more prepared to listen to what was going on, that 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 it might have gone a different way. Do you? Do you believe that, that that is possible or that it was kind of heading this direction anyway? Um, no, I definitely believe that's possible. Uh, you know, I've got a couple of words written down here. One is overreach and, uh, and the other one is trust. And uh, by overreaching, Hamish just pushed the envelope uh, too far and too hard or too often. Um, he was well-intended. Uh, but there were too many mistakes and and a lack of contrition about the things that went wrong. And if he had sort of wound it back a bit uh, and and brought a few more people along with him, then perhaps the states wouldn't have reacted as they did. And why they did is because they didn't trust him personally uh, to to be a facilitator for you know collegiate and collaborative progress forward. It was always his way or the highway, and uh, and the irony is that Australian rugby does need that type of energy and presence. It does need someone like him to drive that. But yeah, in the end of in the end of it, he's he just sort of pushed too hard and too often, and in the end, that's why we're in the position we are today. Christy, you spent a lot of time talking to Hamish over over the last year as well. Like, do you think this is the right call? Do you think that uh, Jeff's what Jeff's saying here is correct as well, that, that he's kind of the master of his own downfall in a sense? Yeah, I don't disagree that there's been a couple of blunders along the way. Uh, did we think that they were going to be blunders at the time? I know that some... Uh, including Harry Jones, uh, uh, the regular host of this podcast, wrote you know, the best part of a year ago that bringing Andy Jones back would be the worst thing that Australian rugby could do. And, and that, in many ways, has proved to be the case. However, I don't think there would... I think the vast majority of people would have thought that, that was the right thing uh, in terms of bringing Andy Jones back. Perhaps 2024 would have been uh, a more seamless transition allowing Dave Rennie to go through with the Wallabies so, uh, you know hindsight shows that that certainly would have been the better option but at the time I, I think many the entire virtually the entire generation of Wallabies that either played under Eddie or had seen things happen over the last five six seven years with with England would have thought that he would have done a a good job being able to, to spearhead the Wallabies campaign I, I think Hamish McLennan shook the trees for sure. And in many ways, I think that needed to occur. You look at the chairman that uh, preceded him, guys like Cameron Klein, um, Michael Hawker, neither of those left with their stocks uh, up, particularly Klein, who struggled to enthuse anyone and you know, was very much part of the process of the messy, complicated situation with the Western Force being cold and the 
uh, it was a shit show for a couple of years and there was a number of things that occurred, including you know, Israel Folau and fiasco that unfolded there. I, I think McLennan's intentions were right. Uh, I, I just think that, yeah, I agree, at times probably did overreach, but perhaps that was necessary. Uh, and, you know, they, he, he managed and he, was, he came in in 2020 at the height of COVID when a broadcast deal was a long, long way away and managed to get a much higher uh, offer from nine that was put on the table to begin with. Uh, so we, we do have to acknowledge and tip our hats to him there. Also the role that they played to get the World Cups in 27 and 29. That may have occurred regardless of who was the chairman. World Rugby certainly wanted Australian rugby to, to rise again. Uh, I, I think, you know, he didn't help himself, Hamish, with the Brumbies uh, in terms of the heavy head in this going down there, sending the lawyers in, sending Deloitte in there to to, to check whether or not they were solvent. Uh, as it has been shown, they are solvent. Uh, but there are many, many questions still left in Australian rugby from centralisation, from whether or not five super rugby sides is still the, the right way to go, um, from, uh, you know, getting the next broadcast deal in place. And that's, I think, the really big one. Is Dan Herbert the right person to be able to lead Australian rugby to get the best broadcast deal and and, and doubling what the current standing and offer is with 29 million from nine and, and stand? That that needs to be the best part of doubled in a couple of years' time for Australian rugby to uh, have any hope of being a, a powerful rugby union again in the future. Jeff, I'll get you to jump in on that. Do you think Dan Herbert's the right person to do what Chrissy suggests there, or do you think where 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 should we be looking? Um, well, I don't think we should be looking anywhere else. the The fact is, the board's made a decision, and uh, uh, Phil Wall's the CEO. Dan Herbert's now the the chair of the board, and you know what uh, rugby in Australia needs more than anything is stability now. Uh, it also needs to keep active. It can't uh, revert to some sort of status quo where there's a standoff between the states and the central administration and nothing happens. Um, you know, I know people are looking for a bit of a quiet period, you know, to turn the volume down uh, that, you know, was around Eddie and around Hamish. But, but, Rugby Australia can definitely not afford to sit still. Uh, you know, demonstrably, the on the field and the high performance, uh, you know, we're, we're miles behind where we need to be, didn't make the quarterfinals of the World Cup, haven't won a Bledisloe Cup for, you know, over two decades. Um, you know, the, the grassroots of rugby needs to be re-engaged and re-energised. Uh, so, you know, the board and the executive need to keep busy and, and keep pushing. Um, so whether Dan uh, Herbert is the right guy for that, you know, I'm not qualified to say, but the point is he is in there and uh, and he needs to step up and he needs to be given the full support of everybody in rugby, uh, along with Phil War, uh, to do that. Um, but having said that, there is a genuine concern. One thing about Hamish McLennan, he's a doer. And, you know, he has the capacity and the ability to make things happen. Uh, maybe not in the way that, uh, that you know, was suitable for everybody. Uh, but whoever is in that role now, which is Dan Herbert, um, 
you know, whether he has that drive and that, uh, uh, that you know, the necessary experience and the connections to make all that happen, um, that remains to be seen. Well, I'll say one thing that needs to be said is, is Hamish McLennan right throughout the World Cup was getting text messages from News Corp bosses, from Patrick Delaney, the Foxtel boss, was uh, meeting with Mike Sneesby and nine officials, was meeting with Michael Miller, who's the... Uh, head of News Corp operations in Australia. So he, he's a guy that was extremely well connected and I thought had a very strong ability and, and likelihood to be able to get a good broadcast deal. Oh, Dan Herbert, let's be honest, is pretty inexperienced in regards to anything to do with driving a broadcast deal. You know, Hamish worked, was the CEO of, of 10 previously. Uh, News Corp exec and obviously. And sorry, Christy. Uh, what, what, what is the timing on the broadcast deal? Can you can you let us know? You know how far this oh, yeah. is. Is this something that the yeah. next, like not interim chairman, can handle? Well, well Nine and Stan had had um, taken an offer. My understanding is to the World Cup, and it was turned down because it probably wouldn't have been high enough. Uh, he, Hamish McLennan was told, look, the offer's not going to change because of their, their standing, their result at, at the World Cup. But um, it, so it's an ongoing process. It'll probably be firmed up over the next 14 months, I'd imagine. Uh, it was a three-year deal that they signed with a two-year extension and that, and that plus two years was in the favour of Nine and Stan. So they rolled that on knowing that they've got this on the cheap. 29 million bucks a year is so ridiculously unders. It's not funny. And in many ways, I think that it's actually, they're harming their own product by selling the game at so cheap and nine not putting in more money because it means that they'll have less to pump into the uh, grassroots and, and less money to be able to uh, secure their own current generation. Um, so, so it's going to be taking place over the next 14 months and I, I simply don't know at the moment if Dan uh, Herbert is is the right person to be spearheading that. I imagine that external consultants will be brought on. There will have to be someone with more um, IP in that area come onto the board uh, at next year's AGM, which will occur end of March, stay at the start of April. So, yeah, we'll watch this space on, on that one. But there's, there's still many significant decisions that need to be made before then, including the, the Wallabies coach, uh, the new director of uh, high performance. There's a debt deal that was only about a fortnight away from being signed, sealed, delivered. And I don't know what the impact of Hamish going is on that debt deal because, once again, it's more instability. It's more people you don't know who you're working with. Uh, so many, many questions still remain. And, Jeff, do we see this as a vote against centralisation in some form as well, that that is now an issue here or is it more personality based or how, how do you kind of see that that burning issue being affected here uh well i i think it's definitely more personality based uh the states in their communications the six states that moved against mclennan uh, made it clear that they don't want to stand in the way of centralization uh, i think that remains to be seen as i said in today's article um you know there is the the window open now for for states who want to be recalcitrant and want to you know block this to be able to do so more easily and uh and so that's a concern uh but whether they do or they don't uh you know we don't know 
you know, th that'll all have to play out over the next uh, six, nine, 12 months. Um, so yeah, the potential is there that um, we do go back to the old days of uh, states running roughshod over the central administration. But if we take uh, those states at their word, uh, they won't. And, you know, one thing about centralization is that, you know, it means different things to different people. And it hasn't really been articulated to the rugby public what the detail of that is. And there are a few misconceptions about that. People like to talk about players being sent to different franchises so that everybody gets you know maximum game time and and that the franchises are made more equal um that's not how it works in new zealand uh, they still compete for players and players have free choice as to where they go so it would be good if at some point rugby australia is able to articulate to everybody what what they are trying to achieve and uh, and then i think there'll be you know better basis for discussion in the in the rugby community do you think that's been a failing, Christy, that, fa that they haven't been able to articulate that properly yet? Oh, absolutely. It's, it's one of the things that's led to the instability, uh, particularly from Queensland. Like, uh, the areas of centralisation have already occurred in terms of the high performance. Last year, uh, well, sorry, earlier this year, Les Kiss, for instance, becomes Queensland Reds coach. Uh, Rugby Australia was invited to be part of that process. Now, whether or not they will actually have the balance of power in that is probably what they would be pushing for going forward because Queensland certainly did. RA wouldn't have been able to influence too much, but they always supported Les Kiss. Uh, another example is you know, Stephen Larkham and the Brumbies. Larkham certainly didn't want to be resting half, half of his players or his best national players for their penultimate Super Rugby match against the Western Force earlier this year, for instance. They did that on the back of what RA uh, wanted and the plans that were already in place implemented under Dave Rooney before he was speared in, in mid-January. So um, elements of it have already occurred. What they really want is things like, so Queensland under Brad Thorne weren't prepared to show um, their uh, strength and conditioning metrics, et cetera, et cetera, because they did not, he, Brad Thorne did not trust RA, did not want to be sharing that. RA wants to make sure going forward that it's not a question, that it just happens. So there, there are other examples, other examples being if a coach needs to be fired or, or brought in, that the governing body has the balance of power to be able to do that. But it, as Jeff says, it, it's not just sending players left, right and centre throughout. It might occur occasionally. Um, Dan Herbert... As, as interim or as chair for the time being anyway, he has experience in this kind of field. He certainly is a supporter of centralisation. He was working previously with the Queensland Reds uh, less than a decade ago. He, he ran to be CEO, uh, but Damien Frawley, uh, it was a split vote, and Damien Frawley, as the chairman at the time, uh, decided to opt with Richard Barker. So, so, so Herbie's actually quite well across a lot of the things that are going to be trying to put, be put into fruition from a high performance perspective. Um, so he, I think he'll be able to smooth and calm some of those waters regarding the centralisation component, but he is certainly a, strongly advocates for it as well. So looking ahead and what this means for, you mentioned a few of these areas before, one being high performance, um, 
obviously there's a review that is on currently or just about to start. Uh, we have, you know, the ongoing saga over uh, Joseph Sawali coming to the game. Um, how, how like, like, what are the immediate impacts you think this could have and what kind of areas should, you know, are, are we bracing for here? Oh, look, I think the review at the moment is kind of struggling to get off the ground because in many respects, we already know what's occurring. Uh, we already know the, the shortcomings of the World Cup campaign and it's pretty pretty obvious, isn't it? And the players themselves haven't necessarily wanted to participate in it because last year they strongly advocated for Dave Rennie and, then, and clearly their message wasn't adhered to. Uh, so... And in addition to that, a lot of the players have been overseas as well. They're not necessarily in Sydney or Brisbane at the time. Uh, and uh, until recently, Justin Harrison, there was a strong pushback about the Rupert Boss, who is also on stand and, and one of the main commentators on the network. Uh, there was a lot of pushback about him being on there, a conflict of interest. Who's he representing? Is he representing the players here? Is he representing the review? Is he representing himself? So uh, that he, he, that's marching ahead. He's, he's on that, that review. I imagine it'll be uh, it's wrapped up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, I, I would imagine that the director of high performance will be uh, appointed in the next three weeks. Uh, there's a couple of names that are floating about. Billy Millard, who's uh, Harlequin's director of rugby, uh, has worked in sevens previously. Uh, worked all over the world, the United States as well. He's one name that's been mentioned, as is Peter Horn, uh, who's currently a high-performance manager with World Rugby at the moment. Uh, but it's still a fair bit of water to go under that bridge. I still think that there's a lot of people that hope that David Nusifora might come back, and he's perhaps more likely uh, to contemplate it without Eddie Jones there, without Hamish McLennan there. But I think that is pie-in-the-sky kind of stuff. Uh, and then the Wallabies coach, I think... The fact that Hamish McLennan is no longer there, I think, actually helped with that process. There would have been a lot of people sceptical about joining and jumping on board whilst Hamish is there, was there. He's no longer. Uh, so a, a national coach or an incoming national coach would like to have a bit of knowledge about whether or not Herbert's going to be there for a long time because that relationship between the CEO, chair and a head coach is so, so vital. How, how important, Jeff, is it that they get this kind of long-term plan in place? Oh, absolutely important. You know, it's back to that word about stability and and the leaders uh, in uh, Australian rugby need to re-establish trust with all of the stakeholders, and that includes the fans, uh, people that buy TV subscriptions and go to games, and, and that's what's uh, lacking. It's been lacking for a while, and this weekend... Uh, you know, all of the ructions do nothing to uh, enhance that. Uh, in the long term, that may be a mechanism whereby everybody can move forward. But yeah, absolutely. Stability is key here. Uh, I think to the review, I think the best thing that can happen with that review is that it gets canned. Uh, as Christy said, uh, what is the point? The coach has uh, already... Uh, changed. The chairman now has changed. There's a new director of high performance coming regardless. Um, it's very difficult to see what that review will deliver that, that isn't already obvious. And, and that would be a good 
place to start and just to say, right, the line's already been drawn and we've already started to move forward from today. Uh, and there's one other thing I'd say about uh, looking forward and, and with respect to stability, and that is uh, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the ongoing uh, uh, confusion or, or, you know, discussion about whether Australia should have five super rugby teams or four or three. Um, for me, that needs to stop. Uh, you know, a contract is in place with uh, Sansa uh, for a number of years uh, until 2030, where Australia has committed to providing five sides. Uh, the, the broadcast partner needs that certainty. Uh, I think we just need to accept that that is the situation and that every time somebody brings up, well, we need to get rid of a team and then start, you know, hacking around the edges of a franchise and, and to highlight how weak they are and highlight how rugby would be so much better off without one of them. Uh, all of that does is chip away at that stability and that confidence um, so that is something that I'd really like to see happen over the next few years, that everyone gets on with the job. There's a lot of good work going on at all of the franchises. Uh, I'm reasonably optimistic about uh, some improved performance in Super Rugby next year, uh, and it would be great if we can move past that. Before we wrap up, just a couple of quick ones. Um, we listed the four uh, key people who have... Uh, come and gone this year already. Uh, Phil War is he uh, the right choice as long-term CEO? I'll just get you both to jump in on that, Christy. I think we have to see what he can do in the next couple of years. Uh, and he's there for the time being. I think, yeah, he's got to be given the best shot. And by making this reasonably swift decision to get rid of Hamish McLennan, the board has secured their own jobs really if that had been able to drag on throughout the week and perhaps month or two before an EGM was called uh, all of them would have been overthrown uh, so yes I think they're secure for the moment and we'll see a couple more and new members to the board uh, in in April come the AGM because people like Pip Marlowe are going to be at the end of their tenure so there's definitely going to be a, a couple of new faces and Jeff? Uh, yeah, for me, I think uh, the best thing for Phil War is that, uh, you know, Hamish McLennan has gone for the reason that, you know, all good CEOs uh, want to exercise their autonomy, that they're in there for a reason. Uh, they want to make decisions. They want to set a path forward for the organisation. And, you know, for, for all of Hamish's... Uh, good features and for all of his bad features, you know, we definitely can't say that he, one of his good features was providing clear air for his CEO. Uh, you know, it would have been suffocating to work in that environment. And we saw that with Andy Marinos uh, departing earlier in the year. So Phil now has that opportunity. Uh, if he's good enough, he has the, um, the uh, yeah, the, the space in which to operate. He's got a lot of things uh, tying his hand behind his back, of course. The biggest one is that there's no money. Um, so we're going to see how good he is, but absolutely he's the man in the job, uh, now along with Daniel Herbert. And uh, and I think this is a good time uh, 
to let these guys get on with the job and show us what they've got. And uh, Hamish has said that he believes that his ousting will create more division within Rugby Australia, not less. Uh, I just want to get your verdicts on whether that is right or whether you think we're, you know, moving now forward in a better space. Uh, well, I think uh, there's the potential for more division if the states aren't genuine about coming to the table on uh, centralisation. So, yeah, that is a concern. That needs to be proven. Uh, within Rugby Australia itself, uh, within the executive and the staff, um, and and the board, uh, I think that's probably a, a false statement. I think uh, I think they're probably in a better position to unite. Yeah, I tend to agree with Jeff. I, I think you know, we 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 heard we've already had a, a statement from the six tribal unions welcoming the decision from Hamish uh, to to go. Uh, and I thought that they said, had some fair comments where they uh, thanked him for his enthusiastic nature. And he's, I, I think in the heart and hearts, um, his desire to try to do the best thing for Australian rugby, clearly some of the decisions that he made hasn't necessarily led to that. But um, he came in at a rocky t uh, time and he certainly left at a, a rocky time. These two are a safe pair of hands, Phil Warren. Dan Herbert, but there is much still to come over the next 24 months. And unless more money comes into the game and unless the Wallabies turn around their on-field performance, we will see more division, uh, not unity, because there's many, many mouths to feed at the moment. And there's only going to be more, particularly over the next few years, as women's rugby starts to get more of a priority uh, because, you know, you're not just feeding now the five Australian men's super rugby sides, but the women's as well. So uh, more money needs to come in unless uh, otherwise division will return. Guys, I want to just thank you for jumping in on this special edition of the Raw Rugby podcast, but not just that, for your excellent reporting and writing over the uh, well, what has been an insane 11 months, really, uh, culminating, maybe culminating in... Uh, what happened over the weekend so thanks again for joining us thanks for the keeping our readers up to date uh with what's going on inside all the camps and you know that fantastic analysis today jeff as well as your your reporting christy um it's much appreciated i'm sure uh cheers uh, pleasure to chat and uh yeah let's hope uh we're moving on to bigger and better things next year